It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me, or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. I promise you we are going to together beat this. And, uh, and I think that uh, I, uh, you know, but the idea that um, over 500, I think it's, I have a card, I carry a card with me every day with the total number of folks who have been affected by the, uh, as of uh, yesterday, there were 500,071 people who have died from this. That's uh, your commander-in-chief, you know, commanding and chiefing uh, on your behalf uh, in the most disturbing way. And, of course, I've heard several other clips of of President Joe Biden lately that are just as disturbing. He's having trouble with the order of words, and he can't, you know, he stumbles. They must have found something to make him uh, make a good showing, because he often does. He often looks good. You know, he's able to read those words and go back and forth seamlessly from the teleprompter. I had a friend with uh, whose parent had dementia, and she was telling me that the last thing to go for her parent was uh, the ability to read. She could still read, but uh, she couldn't. Other things just were not connecting, and I, I'm just thinking that perhaps that's what's happening with the president. But, of course, the dangers are great. The dangers are tremendously great. Joe Biden just told us in another you know thing he read a few days ago, that we must continue masking and social distancing and uh, not traveling and uh, wearing the masks and all of this, uh, even if you have uh, the the vaccination. You know this, right? You've by now figured this out, that the COVID vaccination makes no difference at all. And if you somehow miss that, uh, the the, the Lord of all, Fauci, Fauci, uh, made a statement in the last few days that I think I played part of this yesterday. I can't remember, uh, but I want you to hear it again today because this is Dr. Fauci waxing, well, not so eloquently on the new rules. Here he is. Clip four. There are certain aspects of being vaccinated and what that means to you personally and your own personal safety and that of your family versus what vaccines will allow you to do in society. One relates to you yourself being vaccinated, and the other relates to the number of people and the relative percentage of people in society that will be vaccinated, because there will be things that you will not be able to do because the burden of virus in society will be very high, which it is right now, even though we're going way down on the decline that Dr. Walensky showed you, we are still at an unacceptably high baseline level with the seven-day average being quite high. So there are things, even if you're vaccinated, that you're not going to be able to do in society. For example, indoor dining, theaters, places where people congregate. That's because of the safety of society. You yourself, what you can do when you are together with another person, we are looking at that 
And we're going to try and find out very quickly what recommendations could be made about what people can do. One of the things that's universal here that we know that at this point in time, it is unclear whether when you get vaccinated and you might be protected from clinical disease, which is the primary endpoint of the vaccine studies, that you could conceivably be infected, have virus in your nasopharynx, and at that same time have no symptoms, which is the reason why we recommend and say you still need to wear a mask. We want to make sure that people continue to wear masks despite the fact that they're vaccinated. Well, did you get that? Were you taking notes? Are you clear now on what's happening and how that vaccination will affect your life or not affect your life or your nasal pharynx? Or are you clear that Dr. Fauci is, you know, we are looking into that. I don't know. I don't know who we is. Let's see. Could it be Bill Gates, the eminent scientist, Bill Gates, who's won Pulitzer Prizes for his uh, investigation into disease and infection? Oh, no, that's the Microsoft engineer. But it might be him because, you know, they're very close, and uh, Bill Gates is the one who, uh, you know, is after all behind the vaccine and very happy and smiling on all these news media. I just saw him again this morning on MSNBC, uh, just, you know, with his sweater, with his arms folded, smiling, you know. And he doesn't have to do these things that you're having to do. He's explained it because he does offsets. He's, he's in a different category, and he's, he's saving the world after all. So he has to have, you know, be able to fly, use all the energy he wants. And I don't even know if he's gotten a vaccine. Be interesting to know, wouldn't it? Uh, so we, but we have to discuss this. Plus, the we could be, uh, could it be, let's just say that Joe Biden, whoever is the wizard behind the curtain, because uh, Joe Biden is obviously not the wizard. So the other we, the we that are causing these nominations that are being heard before the Senate to stumble and not have an opinion because they don't know what the we is going to say and how they're supposed to react. There is some controlling factor here, and it's uh, good that you pick up on that. But let me just kind of contrast. I read yesterday that Dr. Fauci back when, remember Ebola, um, Ebola? that horrible disease that came out of Africa and the doctor was flown back by the Good Samaritan uh, a plane that Franklin Graham, you know, saved, and people were just dying instantly. We saw the photos and the videos on, uh, you know, on television. This is a horrible, horrible death, very contagious, spread by body fluids, uh, and and caused people to die, just a horrendous death. Well, guess, let's see, guess who was against mask wearing during the Ebola crisis? Let's see, and guess who was president then? It was, uh, let's see, Barack Obama, I think, and uh, Dr. Fauci was, you know, his dude <clears throat> at the uh, at the NHS or wherever he is, Center for Disease. I'm not sure exactly if it's NHS or Center for Disease Control, but he was his dude. And guess what he said then? He said, no masks. You'd make people feel singled out. If they haven't been diagnosed, they shouldn't have to wear a mask. And if you don't believe me on that, then let's just listen to Dr. Fauci himself. Uh, I believe it was last March about what masks mean. This is clip 10. There's a lot of confusion among people and misinformation surrounding face masks. Can you discuss that? The masks are important for someone who's infected to prevent them from infecting someone else. Now, when you see people and look at the films in China and South Korea, whatever, everybody's wearing a mask. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. 
You're sure of it because people are listening really no, closely to this. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better and it might even block a, a droplet, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And often there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask and they keep touching their face. And can you get some schmutz sort of staying uh, 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 inside uh, uh, there? Of course, of course. But when you think masks, you should think of healthcare providers needing them and people who are ill. The people who, when you look at the films of foreign countries and you see 85% of the people wearing masks, that's fine. That's fine. I'm not against it. If you want to do it, that's fine. But it can lead to a shortage it, of masks. Exactly. That's we're the point. It could see. lead to a shortage of masks for the people who really need it. Yeah, so it will make you feel better, but uh, I don't advise it. That was uh, Fauci before, and now we have a Fauci now. And uh, we had a Fauci during uh, the Ebola crisis. Uh, So uh, you can make your own judgments. I don't trust someone who changes that much to you. A person, uh, you know, it's a smart, it's a foolish man, as they say, and I think this is true, who never changes his mind, but he is all over the map all the time. And he's our expert. And Joe Biden, uh, uh, you know, Joe, who, who, is the, who is the wizard behind the curtain? Who is telling us that we have to be in prison the rest of our lives, even if you get a vaccination? Who is telling us the vaccination might work and it might not work? You might have to start getting one every time you fly. Have you heard that? I'm telling you, I have been telling you for months and months that we are being played. It doesn't mean that there aren't real problems getting COVID. I've never said that. I just... I just read a heartbreaking Facebook post, which I hardly ever read Facebook, so uh, I read, read my son's. That's it, because I, I want to know what's going on with him in Scotland. Uh, but I'm not a Facebook person, but I did read uh, yesterday about a man who's pleading for prayer for his brother because he has um, came down with symptoms of COVID, and now he's on a respirator. But as I read the narrative, they're calling it now COVID pneumonia. And when I read the treatment, they said they're giving him oxygen and some other other thing, but no mention of antibiotic. And so uh, my immediate suspicions are uh, pneumonia, if it's pneumonia, pneumonia kills people. It has always killed people. It kills young people. It kills old people. It kills people. If it's untreated, people often die. Uh, it's the, the rate of death in pneumonia is much higher than the rate of covid and I am really suspicious that people are not getting proper medications uh, when they test positive for COVID. It's happening where I live, uh, where the medical, the largest medical practice here that a lot of people are signed up with, where they can't go anywhere else except that practice, will not give medicine to treat COVID. If people test COVID, they take, they send them home and tell them to what take aspirin, Tylenol. That's what I'm reading that people are taking. None of these drugs that actually treat it are being administered, at least where I live, and I think in many other places, according to what I've read. This is what I, why I just can't get cranked up about the scare over COVID. I'm more scared of what's happening in the politically correct medical field and hospitals forcing doctors to do things that maybe they wouldn't in good conscience do otherwise, and also fresh graduates from medical schools who are graduating from these liberal medical colleges, and they are themselves young and woke. Uh, I'm frightened for the future of our medical treatment, but I am not frightened by COVID. The chances statistically of dying of COVID are so small. Of COVID alone, just COVID. Pneumonia is different. 
And so are the other things that, um, that the other mitigating kind of illnesses that you can have. Anyway, I want to get into something different. Ah, uh, I think I'm going to do this. I, I, there's something I'll get to in the last segment that's really important. It's news about what's happening uh, as a result of January 6th and some of the, the hearings that happened in Capitol Hill yesterday. But this is really important, too. So I'm going to uh, choose this. We've been telling you about all these bits of legislation that are really nightmarish. Uh, and one of them is coming up on Thursday, and it is the Equality Act. The Equality Act, the Equality Act, which will erase the difference between genders. And I'm going to give you another kind of tutorial as to what this means. These are the words of, of my good friend, General Jerry Boykin, who was the vice president of Family Research Council. He says, Imagine an America where religious hospitals are forced to perform abortions, where Bible-believing churches could be forced to hire pastors and other employees who don't follow the teachings of the church and could be required to host same-sex wedding ceremonies, where Christian schools are forced to cater to the preferences of students who identify as transgender threatening the privacy and safety of young girls in the US House of if the US House and Senate pass the Equality Act this is the future that could lie before us almost no institution or person of faith be it a school church business or nonprofit will escape the reach of this catastrophic law if it passes and uh, while touting as equality this legislation would be more appropriately named the Inequality Act, it would force all those in the medical community, regardless of their moral, religious, or medical opinions, to offer hormone treatment and transgender surgeries for individuals suffering from gender dysphoria. Uh, This is a great piece by Ken Blackwell, also on it, called The Equality Act Would Create a Religious Separate But Equal, and he talks about what a fraud it is. It's based on the Civil Rights Act, and yet it's a creating destruction uh, because race and uh, you know transgenderism and uh, you know removing sex organs are not related; they are not the same thing. All right, so this is going to come up on Thursday, and here's the point: uh, General, General Boykin uh, just laid out a what if, but I'm telling you that is a it is going to be. That's why so many people fought uh, to keep Joe Biden and Kamala Harris from being elected to fight hard for President Trump in spite of his tweets, because we knew this was coming, and coming it is. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Byron Paulus with Life Action Ministries and the founder of One Cry. Right now, the iron is hot, the desperation is growing, and people everywhere are talking about the potential of revival and spiritual awakening. I know of no better time than to inject in the middle of that what has been the longest-running continuous revival conference in North America. It's called the Heart Cry for Revival Conference. It'll be integrated with the Collegiate Day of Prayer, a powerful time with speakers that we have carefully selected to help lead us into an understanding of the ways of God right now in the midst of all that He is doing. The Heart Cry for Revival Conference is February 24th through the 26th. This year's conference is available exclusively online. Register for free at heartcryforrevival.org. While you're there, check out the list of speakers and workshop leaders. I look forward to seeing you end of February, Heart Cry for Revival Conference. This is Pause to Pray, 
a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Senator Schumer was first elected to his seat in 1998. His experience makes him an influential leader in our government, and we look to the Lord to guide Senator Schumer. Isaiah 30:21 reminds us of the importance of God's guidance in everything we do. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Senator Schumer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. Get your 2021 prayer journal to help guide you through the year in prayer. Available now at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Virginia teachers, take the lead in education with up to 64% off your graduate degree at Liberty University. This year has forced you to innovate, adapt, overcome, and you've not only risen to the challenge, you've crushed it. Now help education emerge from this crisis stronger than ever with your MAT or MED degree. Our transfer-friendly degree programs are 100% online and start as low as $282 per credit hour. It's our thanks for all you do for our future. To learn more, text TEACHER to 49595. That's TEACHER to 49595. The Southern Baptist Convention is in the throes of controversy again. The Southern Baptist Convention is our nation's largest non-Catholic denomination. They have a significant influence on the culture. Unfortunately, woke leaders of the SBC have decided it's best for Southern Baptists to disengage from the culture war. Instead, they have turned on conservatives, attacking fellow Baptists who supported President Trump. Just the other day, SBC President J.D. Greer accused Baptists of all sorts of bad behavior. Pastor Greer said some churches were filled with racist and neo-Confederates, and he labeled critics of his reforms as demonic Pharisees. It's time for a choosing for Southern Baptists. Will they surrender to the culture, or will the conservative resurgence surge again? Be sure to download my free podcast. Read more about this story at ToddStarns.com. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. In the piece that I referred to that you wrote for a publication called Resurgent, you wrote Muslim, quote, Muslims do not simply have a deficient theology. They do not know God because they have rejected Jesus Christ, his son, and they stand condemned, end of quote. Do you believe, do you believe that that statement is Islamophobic? Absolutely not, Senator. I'm a Christian, and I believe in a Christian set of principles based on my faith. Uh, that post, as I stated in the questionnaire to this committee, was to defend my alma mater, Wheaton College, a Christian school that has a statement of faith that includes the centrality of Jesus Christ for salvation, and again, I apologize. I do forgive me. I, we just don't have a lot of time. Do you believe that people in the Muslim religion stand condemned? Is that your view? Again, Senator, I'm a Christian, and I wrote that piece. Well, what does that say? With the statement of faith of Wheaton. I understand that. I don't know how many Muslims there are in America. I really don't know. Probably a couple of million. Are you suggesting that all of those people stand condemned? What about Jews? They stand condemned too. Senator, I'm a Christian. 
I, I understand you are a Christian, but this country is made up of people who are not just. I understand that Christianity is the majority religion, but there are other people who have different religions in this country and around the world. In your judgment, do you think that people who are not Christians are going to be condemned? Thank you for probing on that question. As a Christian, I believe that all individuals are made in the image of God and are worthy of dignity and respect regardless of their religious beliefs. I believe that, that as a Christian, that's how I should treat all individuals. And do you think your statement that you put into that publication, they do not know God because they've rejected Jesus Christ the Son and they stand condemned? Do you think that's respectful of other religions? Senator, I wrote a post based on being a Christian and attending a Christian school that has a statement of faith that speaks clearly with regard to the centrality of Jesus Christ in salvation. I would simply say, Mr. Chairman, that this nominee um, is really not someone who is what this country is supposed to be about. I will vote no. All right, so that was Senator Bernie Sanders grilling uh, the nominee for the office, the director of the Office of Management and Budget under President Trump. Uh, and it was a really central moment. It happened a few years ago. It's when the discussion was, you know, we still maybe had a chance uh, to have an opinion. This was a religious test. People complained that Sanders was out of line because it actually was a religious test, which the Constitution pre uh, prevents or counsels against for nominees. Uh, Russell Vaught was the object of that uh, conversation, and he did get confirmed. I remember it very well. After a long confirmation uh, process and a lot of opposition, Russ was confirmed in uh, July of 2020, as I recall. And it was a party vote down party lines, 50 to 45. He had been acting um, uh, director of Office and Management, uh, Management and Budget after Mick Mulvaney left, and he became the manager, but he was only there for a short time. But in that short time, he made his mark, as you can imagine, because think of the courage it took to give that answer in that setting, when your future was on the line with the answer to the question. Russ joins us this morning. Russ, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Sandy. Russ, it's nice to talk to you. Let me just say that uh, you have a new entity, and we want to talk about that. You're the president of a new organization called the Center for American Restoration. And um, in a nutshell, because I'm going to come back to this in a minute, I, I wanted to ask you a few things before we get into what you guys are doing now. But in general, what are you guys doing? What does that mean? Sure. We want to keep the, the focus on the cultural issues, what I've called America First issues, that we've finally been able to fight on in these last four years. Uh, and previously, they just weren't on the agenda, even though there were many great uh, advocates uh, like your organization out there, like you, Sandy. Um, and we want to make sure that we can, over time, restore a consensus in the country that we're a nation for God, for country, for community, because I think those in those there's a corrective to uh, where the establishment has been and wanted to direct our politics on the center-right movement for a long time. And I think we've got to make sure that people of faith uh, are involved and that we're engaging on, on the cultural issues in which the left wants to engage the most on. They, we, we are never going to not be able to focus on these issues and have the country that we uh, were born into. So that's where we feel like the fight needs to be, and we want to uh, work hard at it. You know, I have to say, Russ, I say I spent a lot of time at this microphone complaining about 
people who worked in the Trump administration who uh, behaved badly, undermined him, countered his uh, orders. But I maybe haven't said enough about the incredibly wonderful people uh, that were in there slugging away for every moment that they had, and you were one of those. Uh, it was an amazing thing uh, to be inside the White House and to see uh, those kind of people, people like you, really committed to the country, and in your case, committed to God, uh, making a difference. And I think that's, I have to say, for publicly, for all to hear, uh, that that's the reason why so many people fought so hard for Donald Trump, uh, because we knew who was behind and with him, the kinds of people he had hired and the kinds of things they were doing. Russ, um, I, I want to ask you, were you not, unless, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were pretty much... Um, the driver behind the 1776 commission that was formed by President Trump. Is that right? There were a lot of people who played a bigger part than I did on that, but we were very active in the entirety of this effort to make sure that um, we are affirming the true history of our country. And our piece of this was the critical race theory that has been uh, uh, developed by the left to basically say that we are systemically flawed in this country, and the byproduct of that is that we need to tear it down, and that's why you see riots across the country all year. So that was our piece of it. The president asked us to make sure that we stop funding the federal agencies that were doing this divisive training, but it was part of an entirety of this uh, 1776 project to make sure that we have a curriculum that is not 1619, that we have something that uh, school boards can rely on and to be able to, to put forth the experts that are needed to, to regain that, that shared American history. It's amazing how the critical race theory is now spreading like a cancer, you know, whether it's in corporations or uh, schools. I'm just, every day I read another place where this is just being forced on people in public life. People are being forced to resign because they can't, stand the pressure. Are you, are, in your work at this organization, the Center for American Restoration, are you guys addressing that? Absolutely. It's going to be one of our top priorities. We want to make sure that we get the word out and that we provide tools for parents and, and who are involved in their school board, if people are employees, and to know uh, how they can uh, respond, how they can push back, but just to be educated on the issues so they don't feel bullied to believe that somehow uh, they're racist for disagreeing with this, with this, uh, this, this ideology. And so uh, it will be a major priority. It's something that we will be building upon our work at uh, OMB on this front, and we're going to do everything we can to push back on it. And I think we're going to start to have an impact. If you look at where we were before the president really led on this, uh, churches were, we were losing churches, and as a result, I've even seen it in my own church, the way that it has, that EO that the president signed has caused uh, a discussion that has meant many people to get educated on the issue, and we're seeing a, a move in a different direction, and I saw the lead-up into your program to what's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention, and so there's a lot of pastors standing up on this area. Yeah, you know, you said EO because you're, you know, you're a creature of the Beltway, and I, I am too. But <laughs> people don't really know what that means, and you took the lead in that. Also, it was President Trump's executive order. But explain what that was, Russ. Sure, an executive order is what a president does to basically dictate to his agencies that are full of bureaucrats that would otherwise not do what he wants them to do. To say, look, this has the force of law, and I want you to do. 
uh, my agenda. And so in this case, he put forward an executive order that said we were not going to go forward um, and fund federal agencies that did uh, critical race theory training. We were not going to allow contractors um, to do this sort of training and recipients of federal grants. And it was really those last two that really were starting to move the needle in terms of uh, changing the behavior of all the federal contracting uh, corporations out there. You know, Russ, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, This because this surprised me so much at the time. Wasn't Treasury Department one of the worst offenders? Treasury Department, uh, Department of Energy, the National Labs. I mean, it was horrifying what we were finding as a result of this. And, and it really wasn't necessarily senior leadership as much as no one, it, when you're in charge of these agencies, these HR individuals don't let you know this stuff is happening unless you inquire and, and you know the right And So we started to really play whack-a-mole. And then the bureaucrats thought that they uh, could just, you know, if it was previously scheduled, that it was somehow allowed to go on. Um, and we pretty much quickly put, the, you know, disabused them of that notion and started uh, uh, changing and pulling these things down and letting folks know that there would be adverse consequences in terms of their employment if they kept going forward. Yes, well, uh, I want to just, I want to stop just to make a point because I keep making it uh, and I make it over and over again and I will make it as often as I must. But I want people to understand that that is the very reason why many of us, especially those of us who were trying to lead evangelicals, and I'm talking to a lot of evangelicals right now, uh, to support Donald Trump, there, if there weren't any other reason, this would be the reason. Uh, because now that Russ is gone because President Trump lost, and because Joe Biden is in place, and Kamala Harris and all the wizard behind the curtain running them, ruling them, everything that Russ has done has been dis- undone. Is that correct on, the, on the, this particular issue, Russ? I'm assuming that EEO was rescinded also. It was rescinded, and what's worse is they are now filtering every decision through the Office of Management Budget through this notion of racial equity, which is a leveling philosophy similar to critical race theory. You know, I want to have you back on another a day when we can actually, I want to talk more about concentrated concent- concentration on critical race theory. But for those that are listening mm-hmm. casually and aren't, maybe aren't clued in, in a word, in a sentence, in a paragraph, explain to them, look, a lot of them are uh, black. I have a lot of black listeners, thank God, because we're not, I don't see the differences. Uh, but they may hear this as um, they, they can't understand why we'd be so high on doing away with critical race theory. Why, why does it matter to them, too? Critical race theory is this notion that the critique is that we were moving to a colorblind society. And that the criticism, the critical aspect of it is that, uh, no, we're not, that we are fundamentally flawed as a country with this systemic racism. And you can believe that we have work to do, and you can believe that we've made progress, and you can continue to be a part of racial reconciliation. All those things are things that I would sign up for. But this notion that we have not made more progress than any country in the world, that we have our, our, we were, our founding principles were, were great and that we are an exceptional country, that all white people are not racist, that these are the things that we need to push back on because it's fundamentally racist to believe that because your skin color is, is white that you're somehow racist. 
And so that's, it, it, it goes at the very foundation of what the entirety of the civil rights movement and, and all those who cared about this issue have labored in the trenches for decades. So this is, this is the far left basically co-opting all of the men and women across the country who care deeply about equality under the law and treating people based on the content of their character as opposed to the color of their skin. Well, I would even say further, as you well know, it's, it's uh, become a sort of a tool of uh, totalitarianism, people having to, in workplaces, having to go through these uh, shame trainings, those are my, that's my name, repeating phrases, confessing their whiteness, um, it's re- and kids too, in public schools. We're not even just talking about a thought or a, a reading, like the difference between how we regard the races. We're talking about forced re-education in dra- draconian, horrific, communist-sounding ways. Am I exaggerating? I don't think you are, and I think this is the thing that's scary and that what's waking people up across the country as they realize what's going on is that this is a, this is coercive, and you're putting people in a situation where they're at at, at best bullied, uh, and at worst they're they're completely uh, coerced into either saying or doing or um, acting in ways that have nothing to do with this country, nothing to do with them, made under the image of God, uh, and it's it's tragic. It is tragic, and it's spreading like a cancer. And under this administration, it will sweat, spread further in churches that have been taken some high ground about uh, not wanting to embrace President Trump because of his tweets and the names he calls people, are going to live to rue that day. I'm just saying, Russell, they're going to rue the day they were not paying attention to the, really the, what was actually going on. Uh, that, and, and what was actually going on were these kinds of things. I, I, when, uh, if people, now, I know you're just brand new. You're getting your, you know, your sea legs with Center for American Restoration. But what, can you offer things now? Is there a website? Do you have resources yet? Uh, we would love if people would go to AmericanRestorationCenter.com and sign up so they'll, they'll know uh, our updates as we're going forward. We're out today with our first initiative on Big Tech. And so there are things that we're doing even now while we get up and running and get the word out about the organization. Yeah, let's talk about your, uh, boy, how timely, because I think there's a hearing today on Big Tech. I'm not sure which, which part of it, but something else draconian. Uh, the hearing's taking place today. So you guys are, you've just announced this kind of new initiative, which is a little, uh, let me just say, and I know this is what you're going to say, that uh, Republicans have traditionally been very, uh, very reticent to interfere with, uh, to control businesses. And because they believe in free capital market, a lot of it, we should be. That's what it says on paper. Uh, and you are uh, kind of applying this to an approach to big track. Explain that, Russ. Sure. One of the things that we want to do is to, is to provide the conservative uh, foundation for uh, going after the, the, the censorship of big tech reform. These, these corporations are built on federal laws that gave them liability fields, and they have reached a level of power that in society, it, it, it's no longer just a free market issue. It's a letter, level of, of concentrated power that any uh, country needs to be concerned about if they, if they want to have healthy communities. And so um, we're not saying that, you know, this, this is a moment for political revenge. We're saying we see things that are incredibly troubling. Ryan Anderson, who wrote the book uh, on, on transgender uh, 
philosophy um, three years ago, Amazon pulled it down. They have 83% of, of, of the book selling in this country. They are the public square. And so if we're going to have a public square that, is, uh, that allows all viewpoints, then we've got to be serious about reforming big tech and making sure that they are uh, not censoring uh, half the country from being able to participate. And our letter is, to, is really to make sure that people know that there is substantial conservative support for efforts to uh, reform and legislate in this issue. This will be the first of a, a lot of things that we do on it. Uh, we'll be looking for to support specific bills down the road as the members put them forward. But we did want to counteract the voices on the right that are saying, you know, somehow uh, we've got to be pure here and we can't uh, make trade-offs among competing uh, priorities to, to deal with the number one problem right now that we have. And I, and I believe if we lose, if we don't have reform on big tech and if we don't have voter integrity reform, we're going to lose our voice. And this is something we all need to, to be uh, clear-eyed about. Now, you have right now this letter, you're looking for organizations, not individuals, correct? Uh, correct. Yeah, we'll, we'll take uh, or, uh, organizations, but, you know, if, um, if, if there are prominent individuals that want to sign it, we'll always take them. Yeah, and so the, but the bottom line is, though, you're trying to sort of uh, change the dialogue from Republican reticence, hesitancy to interfere with corporate decisions or corporate entities at all, uh, in fact, that's a, this comes into that decent, uh, what's it, that section 230, is it, Russ, uh, that yep. has given them, the, like, the, the ability to, I forgot exactly the details about, they, they're a publisher technically or something, and they don't they can do whatever they want. And that is that specifically what you're targeting, or are you doing a broader discussion of this? That's what we're targeting, but we're also targeting the ability to, to use the antitrust laws that are on the books that were created to deal with concentrated power where people were abusing uh, uh, monopoly power uh, to prevent competition, to prevent new voices. And we think that there's a substantial case to be made that, that the way, as applied, those laws can be used to deal with this. And, you know, that was the opinion of Attorney General Barr previously. So uh, that, that has been really the conversation that is, is gaining a lot of ground uh, Ken Buck uh, and Andy Biggs and Matt Gates put out a great report called The Third Away on this front, and there's a lot of things that we would commend to people in that report, and we want to basically come alongside and, and help create some momentum as Congress puts forward and starts to craft bills on this front. Ross, you and I have a, uh, one thing we have in common besides our faith in Christ, um, besides the fact I'm from Wheaton also, is uh, that oh, we, are commi- we are committed to truth. And uh, I, this is, we received a gut punch when President Trump was defeated because we believed in his, the principles he was upholding through people like you. And so we've been set back. But I believe truth has a power of its own. And you must, or you wouldn't have responded to Bernie Sanders the way you did. And you wouldn't be doing this steadfastly, uh, really, against all odds. Just the last word from you, 15 seconds, if you could. No, we're excited. We believe that we need to keep the fight going on. There's a lot of hard work that's ahead of us to keep uh, moving forward on these issues, and I appreciate letting me get a chance to get the word out. Uh, it's great to talk to you, Russ, and I want to talk to you again again about cri- critical race theory, if, that, if you're willing. So I will be calling again. Thank you, Russell Vaught. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
This is a unique moment in the history of our country where we have an opportunity to restore the foundations of this nation. Tony Perkins of Washington Watch. To a nation that once again honors God. It will not happen unless God's people are informed and engaged. Join Tony Perkins for Washington Watch. Weekday afternoons at 4 Central and Saturday evening at 6 Central on American Family Radio. There are some horrendous things that have been taking place. Bishop E.W. Jackson. But, but, the good news is that God is still on the throne. Jesus is still King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Tune in to The Awakening, weekdays at noon central on American Family Radio. He said in the world you would have tribulation. He said, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And that's the way we've got to approach all this stuff. The borrower is the slave of the lender. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Prior to the passage of the Federal Reserve Act of 1913, over 80% of American families were debt-free. Today, however, over 80% of the American people are saddled with debt. I was asked recently what advice I could offer in the midst of the national tension we currently face. One of the things I said in response was to work toward getting completely out of debt. So much fruitfulness and faithfulness to God has been robbed from us due to the impact of crushing debt. One of the best things you can do for your family right now is to become debt-free. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net. For more from Abraham Hamilton III, Public Policy Analyst for the American Family Association. Brian Fisher here with the Life and Liberty Minute. Democrat-led majorities in both houses of the Virginia state legislature voted this week to abolish the death penalty, making it the 23rd state to do so. The governor claims it's inhumane, but it's only inhumane to the families of murder victims who now will never see justice in this life. God authorizes the death penalty in the first book of the Bible where it says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. When a man takes the life of another man without just cause, he destroys someone whom God made in his own image. Murder is not just a crime against humanity, it is a crime against God. God places such a great value on the sanctity of human life that he has given civil government the authority to require life for life so that justice may be done. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Affney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Matthew Pottinger served as the Deputy National Security Advisor to President Trump. A former China-based Wall Street Journal reporter turned Marine intelligence officer, he played an outsized role in Mr. Trump's efforts to defeat the CCP virus and the regime that unleashed it on the world. On Sunday, Mr. Pottinger publicly shared lessons learned in the course of the COVID pandemic. His Marine's after-action review showed millions of lives were needlessly lost thanks to Beijing A, turning loose a deadly disease, B, refusing to acknowledge what happened, then, when reports nonetheless leaked out, C, diverting our therapeutic efforts by encouraging us to believe it was just a bad strain of flu, not a virulent coronavirus. Such behavior caused unimaginable carnage here and elsewhere and constitutes further evidence of the CCP's so-called cultural norm, better known as genocide. This is Frank F. 
Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. You may recall last week I told you that, uh, well, you heard probably if you've been watching the news and some of you are not watching the news and I don't really blame you too much, but uh, President Biden choke, as she says it, uh, appointed a guy named Russell Honore. He's a retired general uh, to just, you know, oversee the investigation into what happened on January 6th because it was, of course, just as bad as 9-11, so they're telling us. And we learned last week that Honore, uh, you know, he is not exactly neutral on this issue. He has called Josh Hawley a little piece of blank, uh, and he said with his Yale law degree should be run out of D.C. and disbarred. Uh, he also said that, uh, regarding Senator Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, these Yale and Harvard law grads is high order white privilege. So we're all sure that General Honore is going to be very fair when he looks into the January 6th incidents. He said a lot more things. Uh, but I want you to hear an exchange between Senator Josh Hawley and Tucker Carlson in regard to this nomination just last night. So first to, to your exchange over General Honore today, what, do you think this man who is an open partisan and I would say a bigot um, and a conspiracy person, could he take the role that Nancy Pelosi has designated him for, do you think? No, this is absolutely outrageous, Tucker, the idea that he's going to lead a security review. This is a guy who did what we've seen the liberals do time and again. He blamed the police first. He has no facts. He has no idea what actually went on. And he's out there blaming the police and saying that they're complicit, that they helped the rioters. It's absolutely outrageous. But if you look at his history, he has over and over again blamed law enforcement. He criticized law enforcement who were responding to rioters all last summer, including in Portland and elsewhere. This is somebody who has no business, no business leading a security review. So the capital city of the United States is still occupied by the U.S. military tonight. No one will make them leave or even demand an explanation for why they're there. Now we learn that the FBI took, with no warrant, stole, effectively, phone records from members of Congress and anyone who was at the Capitol that day. How can that be legal? Yeah, I'm not sure that it is legal, Tucker, and I have to say it's, it's unbelievable to read this stuff in the press. This is the only way that members, to my knowledge at least, that members of Congress are finding out about any of this. And once again, we've got the FBI going and doing this stuff without oversight. Now listen, our law enforcement agencies should be tracking down criminals. They should be bringing them to justice. They should be prosecuting them to the fullest extent of the law. Yes. The issue here is, and we've seen this movie before, We've seen the, these law enforcement agencies go way over and above and sweep in law-abiding activity. We've seen the corporations get in on this act. You reported about Bank of America voluntarily, apparently, turning over customers' personal data. Now we've got the telecoms, apparently, turning over, it's reported, uh, the, the messages, uh, cell phone data of folks who we have no reason to believe were anything other than law-abiding. I mean, this is really, really frightening stuff. And to those who say we need a new domestic war on terror that will give even more unaccountable power to these law enforcement agencies without any kind of oversight, well, that is a scary prospect, and I'm totally opposed to it. There needs to be real oversight here and real accountability. All right, again, that's uh, Senator Josh Hawley, who really has become just an incredible hero. He reminds me of Russ Vaught, you know? He's one of those guys who is just... Uh, Steadfast. And the thing that they have in common is, I'll just say this, are both very strong evangelical Christians. You know, that's why Christians are really the target here, whether the left actually says it or not, because we are the ones who believe deeply, deeply enough uh, to give our lives for something that we believe in. And there aren't many people, uh, there aren't many p- worldviews 
uh, that will cause people to be so passionate about their faith, that there's only one God and there's only one uh, way to heaven. That's a pretty radical view. And uh, the all the teachings of God, all you know, all the other things that Jesus taught, embracing them, they are counter culture, and uh, we are in we are in deadlock. We are in a clash of the titans, and it's going to get more clashy as we go along. I want you to hear the rest of how Tucker and Josh exchanged their views on this, and then I have a lot of things to tell you. Let's listen. I mean, if the Democratic Party is trying to create violent extremism, they're doing exactly what you would do if you wanted to create it. I mean, they're making people paranoid and crazy. People feel totally undefended and afraid. Will more Republicans stand up and say, wait a second, we want to, you know, what are the troops doing here? Why is the FBI stealing our text messages? Will anybody push back other than you, do you think? Well, I, I sure hope so. And, you know, you heard today at this hearing, I mean, you heard at least one other member, Senator Rick Scott, asked, what, what about all these National Guard troops, thousands of them here? Why are they here? Nobody had any answers for him. I mean, nobody could answer him. We still can't get any answers as members of Congress. So this is there's got to be real accountability. There's got to be real oversight. All right. Uh, thank you, Josh Hawley and Tucker, for being such faithful patriots let me just say that um, a couple of things. Yesterday on in the Senate, the ex-Capitol Police Chief, uh, Steve Sund, who actually resigned after January 6th, uh, gave a statement to the Senate. And I want you to read, I want you to hear this. He says, the assessment indicated that members of the Proud Boys, white supremacist groups, Antifa, and other extremist groups were expected to participate in the January 6th event and that they may be inclined to become violent. That's an intelligence assessment that came to them before January the 6th. Uh, he's, and they also said that these rallies were expected to be similar to the previous million MAGA March rallies in November and December, which drew th- tens of thousands of participants. And then he said well, the faulty intelligence was to blame for the outmanned Capitol defenders' failure to anticipate the riots. But the point is here, he believed, he knew, they were briefed that Antifa and Proud Boys and white supremacists, I don't think Proud Boys are white supremacists. There are a lot of them are black. So I don't, I'm just, the, the, in the writing of this particular article in the Epoch Times, they separate it, and I would too. Uh, other extremist groups were expected to participate. He also said that uh, the incident was coordinated. He gave the reasons why he thought that. He said they came with climbing gear. He said, one, people came specifically with equipment. You're bringing in climbing gear to a demonstration. You're bringing in explosives. You're bringing in chemical spray. You're coming prepared. The fact that the group that attacked our West Front did so approximately 20 minutes before former President Trump's rally ended means that they were planning on our agency not being at what they call full strength. He also said he thinks pipe bombs found near the Republican and Democratic Party headquarters in the District of Columbia were just used to distract officers from being deployed at the Capitol. So um, um, also the uh, D.C. Metropolitan Police Department Chief Robert Conti III told the Senate panel that rioters were using radio communication and hand signals. Very prepared for that day. No excuse uh, for Nancy Pelosi and the mayor of Washington, D.C., not to allow 10,000 National Guards to be sent, troops to be sent on that day, another backup that they begged for and did not get. So uh, then there's another huge story, and you probably heard this, but you must hear it. If, I, if you haven't heard it, you've got to hear it. And that is, you know, this mantra, the New York Times printed, I forgot what day it was. It was immediately, uh, probably the 6th or the 7th, that a Capitol Police officer was hit by a fire extinguisher and died. And they repeated that over and over again. The House managers, when trying to impeach President Trump again, 
uh, said that, you know, this, that a police officer died in the riots. He was hit by a Trump supporter uh, with a fire extinguisher. The problem was that almost the very next day, Brian Sicknick's brother was saying, no, not really. He actually reported it to news. He said, I got a text from Brian saying we went back and forth. He said, uh, I've just been pepper sprayed a couple of times, but I'm fine. That was the night afterwards. And his family is speaking up now. His mother says he wasn't hit on the head. No, we think he had a stroke, but we don't know anything for sure. We'd love to know what happened. They don't know what happened, but he did not die of blunt force trauma from a fire extinguisher launched at him by Trump supporter. It was an absolute lie, and the New York Times knew it. They were very slow to retract what they had printed about that, and yet other media outlets were you know, gradually kind of getting the word out, but it was useful to them. Brian Sicknick, uh, the officer at the Capitol, as I understand it, I read from other sources, was actually a Trump supporter. Not that that matters. It doesn't matter, really, in this story. It's just an interesting fact. And it's very sad. I mean, I'm not sorry that he was honored at the Capitol because it sounds like he had a, a life of service. He joined the National Guard right after he graduated from high school, and he spent time overseas in, in I think, Iraq and in, in one of the other countries. Uh, so um, he did serve the country well, and I'm grateful for that, and I know that we all are. But the fact that he was killed by a Trump supporter on January 6th was an abject lie, and they knew it was a lie, and they told it became folk Heroes, like the things that they've been doing, the pattern all around the nation, creating these stories that are not true. And Brian was the only one uh, that they alleged was killed by a Trump supporter. And no one else died uh, except for the girl that was uh, Ashley Babbitt, who was shot by Capitol Police, uh, died uh, in that way. The other deaths were trampled and natural causes. So it's just a distortion, and I want you to know that. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.